0: The it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer is launching a new podcast from the guys who brought you a family barbecue called Baseball Barbecue. Hosted by Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman, they're bringing you the good, the bad, and the utterly bizarre corners of the baseball world and everything that makes it special. Throughout the offseason, they'll dive into the rabbit hole on some of their favorite fascinations, from the home run derby to baseball brawls and much more. Once the season returns, they'll break down the latest MLB news and developments. You can subscribe to Baseball Barbecue on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: episode of the JJ Red podcast with Tommy Alter. Uh, we're mixing things up a little bit this week. We are doing a mailbag episode. Mailbag. Uh, mailbag. Uh, we haven't done one of these I think since last summer, right?
0: Yes, yeah, since, the, since the Hamptons. Since right, right after you signed in New Orleans.
1: Correct. It was post-free agency.
0: Before we get to that, can you explain what's going on in your background? What do you I'm so confused. <laughs> like in your in your in your in the background of of your office where you're recording. It's beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you uh, want to see this listeners, you have to go to the YouTube Zoom clip to see JJ's background right now.
1: Yeah, so we we came back on Sunday. We came back to to Brooklyn. We're going to just be here for the foreseeable future either until I get called back or I guess till later this summer when things open back up, but we're just going to kind of Shelter, shelter here for, for the next, uh, several weeks. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I have some books, some records over there. You can see Springsteen's, uh, Born to Run record right oh, there. Yeah. Um, then you have a picture of my parents, uh, throwing, throwing pots. They were clay potters, uh, and a bunch of, uh, watch books and some wine books. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, normal stuff that goes in an
0: office, I think. What's your favorite record of all time?
1: Favorite record of all time. Um, I'm going to throw, throw a few out there. Springsteen, I'm going to give him two. Born to Run and The Sleeper, Nebraska. Nebraska That's is a... Per- deep, is a Deep Sleeper. Is a, yeah, is a perfect album to me. And he's had, he had a few perfect albums, I think. But Nebraska is my second favorite. Of Monsters and Men, their first album phoenix's album and back in like 2009 2010 wolfgang amadeus phoenix or wolfgang amadeus i think it was called those are the ones off the top of my head that i love and then if you want to like talk hip-hop then you start going into a couple of Nas's albums a couple of tupac's albums several of jay-z's albums kanye's first three albums plus uh my my beautiful dark twisted fantasy That what it's called yeah yeah Those are all perfect albums.
0: Do you ever do you ever listen to Amy Winehouse? On vinyl, I mean,
1: I know who Amy Winehouse was and is. Yeah, for sure, I've listened to uh, to her songs. Her vinyl, the
0: vinyl is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite album of all time?
0: I don't know. Um, If you if you talk hip hop, Illmatic, Nas's first album is a is literally a perfect album. And I think it's been when it's all the reviewers, everybody, everybody sort of points to it as like this is the greatest hip hop album ever. It's not the album that I would most re-listen to. Sure. Um That's fair.
1: That's fair. I like Stillmatic. I mean, Stillmatic came out. Still Stillmatic like still is like, great. Yes. You know, you senior remember, year you know, high school. Do you know freshman his year. do you
0: remember his untitled album from from two thousand
1: eight? I yeah. I do. And I'm trying to remember the one song on it that I really liked, but it's the name of the song is not coming to my head. I can look it up real quick. Um I was going to ask you I was going to ask you about albums, music, um I forget.
0: I forget. Let's talk before we get oh, to Oh, I know what I was going to say. I know what I was yeah. going to say.
1: I was going to say uh for any listeners who want to get some great music recommendations, especially some older stuff, uh, our, our friend Brian Koppelman is a big music nerd, and he's already given me, you know, a, a couple album recommendations that I've loved: Neil Young, Harvest yep. Moon. Yep, uh, I just I just play that while I'm while I'm cooking in the in the kitchen. It's amazing, amazing. Uh, he
0: just did, he just did a great. Um uh, interview on his podcast with Jason Isbell. Yes. Really, really yeah. uh, really, really interesting. Um, I we're going like to have, we're going right. to have win We're going to have win on at some point. Yes. Wynn Butler. We have to
1: win. Win Butler from arcade fire. We want to get him. Well, he, yeah, we, uh, he's become a buddy of mine. He lives down in new Orleans. He wants to get on the pod. We want him on the pod. I just feel like with win, you really got to get it in person. I just picture us in some like recording in some hole in the wall, locals only, New Orleans dive bar. <laughs> Everybody with just a cocktail in their hand. You know, that's He's just a- how I envision the Wynn Butler podcast experience.
0: He is a he for a guy who has not lived in New Orleans his entire life is truly the mayor of the city. He's dialed in. It it's it's He's remarkable Dalvin. when when we saw him in March. Um, he, uh, we went to the game, and you didn't want to come out, and so he. It was decided. It was, like a, it was a late game. It was a late it was game. was a late game. I think the game ended at like eleven or eleven thirty. Yeah. He ended up taking me out till probably five thirty in the morning. We went to I'd say six or seven different places. Every place was more random and sort of hole in the wall than the next. Everybody knew him, but he wasn't like these. These weren't like his regular spots. It wasn't like he goes there like every two days. Right. I just think he is completely dialed in in the entire city, where food places, music places. He we went to a college bar at one point, and he's just he's not walking in. He's not walking in like it's I'm I'm Win Butler no rock, no, rock no. star. He no. just goes and he hangs in the corner, and people yeah. come up to him a lot of times. Not I don't think necessarily like recognizing him. Like oh my god, you're this guy from Arcade Fire. They're just like oh that's Win. He's here all the time.
1: Right. Right. He's hard to miss. I mean, he's six, five, he's a big guy. He's always got a hat on. He's usually in, in some, some size 15 Jordans.
0: Yeah. He, t- he
1: took me on a Monday night to a place called Saturn bar, which is over in, um, in like, uh, the area. And we watched a brass band play and it was one of the most unique experiences of my life. I'll just put it that way. It was, it was incredible actually. And it, it felt, it felt surreal. It felt like I was like in a dream. Uh, New Orleans can have that effect on you. I uh, yeah. no, I was not doing drugs to have that effect. <laughs> I was just, I was just, just out, there. Natural. I was just there, you know, I was just present. Do you want to jump into the mailbag real quick?
0: Uh, what's your feeling this week before we get to the mailbag NBA real quick, what's your feeling on the latest developments?
1: Oh, great question. So here's, my biggest takeaway take from you know our call with Adam, uh, the recent Board of Governors call, which of course information from both calls leaked. I'm pretty sure Woj and or Shams and or Mark Stein and all those guys were probably on the call. Let's be honest, uh, they, they figured out the dial-in info. But Adam said something to the effect of, you know, we have to get to the point where we're comfortable with a risk to exposure. And if someone tests positive, then we're not going to just shut the whole league down again. And look, until we get to that point, I don't think you can play. So I, I, I kind of, I kind of agree with that. It's the first time he's, he's said that at least, you know, in, in one of these meetings, because I've been in contact with David Griffith, a bunch with the Pelicans. And it, that, that was really interesting. That was the tidbit from, from Woj's article on ESPN the other day that really stuck out. For me, was just acknowledging that until we have a vaccine, the only way for us to play is that if we accept some level of of risk. Um, Is that a perfect world? No, absolutely not. But you know, I think there's 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 obviously a lot on the line, and and health and safety has to be the top priority. Um, So figuring out how to sort of mitigate that risk in our little bubble, I think, is the only way for us to play.
0: How small do you think a a NBA traveling party could be and still be basically provide everything that it needs.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I think you could get it to 24 to 28, 24 would be really tough. 28. Maybe you could do Griffin. I did the math on this when this, you know, the the CDC, the initial recommendation of no gatherings of 50 or more. We were talking about, you know, playing, not playing in front of fans and trying to put a, game operation together without 50 people being there, you know, it's tough. So you, you, we basically had it down to about, you know, 24 per team. And then everybody else was sort of distanced away, you know, the game operations, people, the the announcers, all that stuff. So when you add in probably four or five more people to make the traveling party work, yeah, you're talking about maybe 28 people. I mean, look, and the other thing that scares me, so I don't want to be, I don't want to be negative here, but I'm just going to, this is just me sort of speaking out loud. And I think maybe you and I have talked about this on text this week, but so if we're, we're talking about the bubble now, right? This idea of sort of, you know, one or two cities and playing as many games as possible and playing the playoffs out and sort of some version of quarantine and, and following some level of isolation protocols for players and, and their families, what is going to change exactly between this summer and December, let's say, if they start the season in December, why what is going to change between now and then that we would be able to play and play and live in our ho- in our home cities and then travel to other you know cities and play? I, that's what's kind of worrisome to me. Would you agree with me? I don't think there's an answer
0: to that. No, there's not. I, I'm there's, just yeah, nothing. I mean, it's it, from all from all scientific sort of accounting of this, this is a seasonal virus. And so we're probably in for more of what we've been through in the fall, you know, without a vaccine. Right. So are we going to,
1: are we going to have to bubble next year for six, six to eight months
0: when you're talking about people just knowing the risks and basically opting into the risks? Is that a contractual thing? Is that a thing where like everybody in the traveling party says, if I get this, we can't be held responsible for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would assume there would have to be some level of, you know, liability involved where you're signing something, acknowledging the risk. I don't know yeah. though. I mean, they, you know, they extended the the CBA sort of deadline, whatever you want to call it because of the force majeure. And, and, you know, both sides can essentially walk out from the CBA. So they extended the deadline to just to, to sort of be able to walk out in September. So, look, I think both sides, players, League, obviously, you know, we want to get games. We want to play. Um, we recognize it's it's not going to happen with fans anytime soon, but you know, we want to play. But we also have a responsibility to not just ourselves and our families and everybody within our traveling party and everybody within the organization that's going to be involved, but we have a responsibility to society to do that in a safe way. That's just a fact. Um, you know, so if there's a way to insulate us and we acknowledge the risk and we play and everybody agrees to do that, then that's probably how you're going to have to have games. But there, there has to be some level of protection, you know, for, for anyone who doesn't, who doesn't want that risk.
0: What do you think about the uh, fake crowd noise? They've said they're saying in football, it's certainly going to happen. I haven't, I haven't heard or read that about anything in the NBA yet.
1: The fake crowd noise.
0: I haven't. (laughs) In the NFL, I don't know if I don't know if they were supposed I don't I I was reading it I think Joe Buck said it I don't know if he was supposed to say it publicly but basically that that's going to because they're going to play these games without fans but it looks like they're on track to do this starting sort of normal schedule time that the same way that like in practice they simulate fake crowd noise to get guys ready they're just going to do that at home games. Which seems, it seems wild N- to me, but... The NFL's
1: playing in like 80,000 seat stadiums, right? Aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're playing in their yeah. home stadiums. Whereas I don't think we'll be playing, at least not right away, I don't think we'll be playing in our home arenas. We'll be playing in yeah. smaller venues. At Disney but, World or whatever. You know, and, and there's... You know, guys are talking... Like, guys talk, you know? So I think, I think there'll be enough noise. The squeaks, there'll be a lot of sneaker squeaks. Look... I get really sad. I, we've talked about this, but you you have days where you're really optimistic and you're hopeful, and then you have days where you're a little pessimistic and you're 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 sad. And I I'm sad for a lot of people. Um, obviously, the people that are struggling health wise, people that are struggling economically with their with their jobs and all that stuff. Um, this is just a very it's a very sad situation. It, there's there's a lot of days where I'm just I'm heartbroken. All right, let's get to the mailbag.
0: (laughs) We got some good questions.
1: I don't see any of these questions beforehand. You're the one that that gets these questions. These are my favorite episodes because I don't have to prep for
0: them. We got some great questions this week. I still want weirder questions. I want questions that make you visibly uncomfortable. Those are the the best mailbag questions are when you look at it and you're like, I can't answer that. And we don't have enough of those in this thing right now. All right. We'll see. Let's start it off. Riley Lanes sent an email in. What's one activity that uh, you guys have done in quarantine that you never would have done in normal times? Why don't you start with that one? Uh, I have a bunch. I have a bunch of activities I've, I started meditating. Ooh, I like it. Playing the piano. I mean, honestly, like this is not an. It's, this is an activity that I, I've done in small doses. But the amount of shit that I've watched in the last eight eight weeks is insane compared to what just like a normal. And it's like that. It's like that with you for sure where you just don't have time to watch anything between the kids and stuff in season. Yeah. But I would say, I would say meditation is my, my number one Okay, answer.
1: I think my number one answer is arts and crafts uh, for sure. Arts and crafts, not a real big arts and crafts guy, but you know, for school, I've done a ton of stuff with them. Obviously I think we've talked about, you know, we, we did a whole children's book series um, that Knox illustrated And Kai and him dictated and I kind of wrote things out uh, about two cub tigers named uh, Elijah and Ethan who went on adventures in Sag Harbor and Brooklyn and New Orleans. Um, The other day for Mother's Day, we did like three days worth of like arts and crafts. And then when she woke up, we had all these like banners and cards and hearts made. So, yeah, arts and crafts. (laughs) You think you will stick with it? I I was doing arts and crafts today out on the patio earlier. So yeah, I think I will stick with it.
0: Yeah, it's a good. See, that this is a positive. Knox
1: is like Knox is very creative. He like he likes doing this stuff, so it's like I've noticed in quarantine like it's really fun for me to do it with him. He really appreciates when like I do these projects with him. So, I think I'll keep doing that.
0: So, a few people have asked this. I'm going to read this from Matthew Graham. What's the weirdest request you've ever received from a fan?
1: Um I mean, I've never been asked to like do anything that was like inappropriate or anything like that. I would have to really think about it because I feel like there's honestly, I feel like there's probably nine or 10 really weird things that have happened. I just basically have repressed them.
0: Just, just block them out.
1: I just block them out.
0: <laughs> do you think the internet makes fan interaction better or worse?
1: Social media and the internet has allowed everyone to have a voice. Even people that shouldn't have a voice. I, I, I'm not saying you should have a voice. I'm saying you should have a voice on certain things. But it's allowed everybody to have a voice. And that holds athletes to some level of accountability. So I think that can sort of wear on the athlete a little bit. But I also think when there's genuine sort of back and forth and interaction with fans, it's, it's an awesome thing. So it's a
0: good and bad thing. Here's a college question from Casey Evans. JJ, can you give us a quick rundown of how your recruitment went? my dad always says you almost came to UVA and that made your games against us all the more painful.
1: That is true. I almost did go to UVA. So basically Duke was my dream school. I had wanted to go there since I was like eight years old. Um, As I was, you know, was in high school and playing for Boo Williams. I realized like UVA would be a great option too. I took a couple, you know, campus tours, unofficial visits or whatever. And two of my teammates on Boo Williams, Elton Brown and Jason Clark, they were my closest friends on Boo Williams. They were going to UVA. And I was like really drawn to sort of the idea of playing with those guys at UVA, staying in state, all that stuff. So fall of my junior year, like in September, I took a visit to UVA, a visit to Duke. And I was supposed to go the following weekend to the University of Florida. Those are my top three schools. Billy Donovan was there. So I go to UVA, great visit, great time. I go to Duke. You know, when I'm in the room with Coach K, he basically said, you know, you can commit, you, know, you have an offer, or whatever. And so I get back to Virginia and I'm supposed to go to Florida with my sisters. My parents weren't even going with me. It was their, it was their like midnight, midnight madness. And David Lee was, David Lee and I were friends. He, he was coming down from St. Louis. So I was like, this is, this weekend is going to be awesome. And then by like Tuesday, Tuesday night, I was like, man, I'm, I don't even want to go. Like, I just like the the Duke thing was like so heavy on me. So I was like, I just, I'm just going to commit. And I, I wanted to get, you know, the commitment out of the way and just enjoy the last two seasons of my high school career. So I, I committed that Wednesday to Duke, got on the phone with Coach K and, and told him I was coming. This is what I would, I would say, though. I, if I had went to Gainesville, who
0: knows? Who was on that team, on that Florida team?
1: Well, they, so my senior year, they ended up winning a championship with like Joe and Al the, yeah. and Corey Brewer. That team was like Roberson, David Lee, James White. Matt Walsh went, obviously, because I, 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 didn't, I didn't go. So Matt Walsh you know, was the, the wing. Um, they had a really good team. But I was going to say University of Texas recruited me pretty hard too and I kind of gave them I don't want to really want to leave home I want to I want to be close to home and I mean I lived in Austin for three and a half years had I made it down to Austin in high school I might have gone to UT I don't know I was so focused on going to Duke though
0: did you have any did you have any in between when you got to Duke and you committed did you have any um like what if no feet moments or you no. just were locked in
1: no, because my junior year, Duke won a national ch- title, and then my senior year, Jay, Will, Boozer, and Dunleavy were all there, and they came back. And Dunleavy and I, we've been friends since my junior year of high school. So, like, you know, I, I used to go down. My sisters lived in Raleigh at the time, so I uh, still do. So I would go down, either stay with them or crash with Mike, and you know, play pickup on the weekends in summers, whatever. Like, if it was off season, so I got to know him a ton and. He was supposed to be. The, he was supposed to be a senior. He was supposed to stay, and be my mentor. And then, you know, I got to Duke, and I just what dove in that? the streets. I just got <laughs> in that the was, streets. That
0: was it. And then it was. <laughs> it was a wrap from there. Before we get to the next question,
1: let's hear from our friends from Roman. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Go to GetRoman.com slash for a free online visit and start your new skincare routine today. That's GetRoman.com slash R-E-D-I-C-K. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply.
0: Alex Clark uh, writes, give us an example of an internal battle each of you have faced at some point in your life, whether it's a spiritual conflict relationship issue, major life decision. This is from the guy who loves Quaker Oat square cereal on Twitter. Great question. What's an internal battle you faced? I mean, every day getting up and <laughs> being active. <laughs>
1: um, Jesus, I think that- this is the darkest podcast we've ever recorded. <laughs> I think I think this this quarantine is getting to us.
0: <laughs> I think that it, I always have an internal battle uh, whenever I've moved in my life, wherever I've like moved cities for a job, even even with college. Like I mean, it, it wasn't a question of whether I was going to do it, but I would just get myself. I would get anxious, and I would get I would I would do the pros and cons of everything, and I would get in my own head about it. I don't get internal battles about work stuff because I do a lot of different shit. And so I've basically set this... I've, I'm have i now in a position where I've sort of set my life up where it's not like I'm locked into one thing, and if I leave that, it's like I'm throwing my life away. I'm just kind of all over the place. Uh, but I do think that that is... a. I could see, you know, from my friends who've had the situation, I could see if you've been at one place for a really long time and you have all these this sort of goodwill built up internally and everything like that, I could see how that could could mess people up.
1: My internal battle is actually one that pops up quite frequently. Uh, you know, sometimes I could go three, four years and it doesn't pop up. Sometimes it could be once every couple months. It just, just the, the love hate relationship I have with basketball. The first time I ever experienced it, I was in eighth grade. I broke my wrist for the third time in six months told my dad, I was like, I'm not going to school today. Fuck this. I was like, I'm going to get my cast on and I'm not going to school and I'm not playing basketball. Fuck this. I'm not doing it anymore. Um, it's not worth it. So he, I went to the doctor, got my cast on, stayed home from school. He came home from work that day and he had bought me a Nike Duke t-shirt. Didn't even say anything. He's just like, sorry about your wrist, man. Here, have this shirt. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dad, you got me back on track. But you know, I've talked about this before. My sophomore year, Duke, I felt like I wanted to quit. That was a transition period. Basically, since I've had children, you know, you you have this internal battle of like, I've got to be selfish about basketball, but I also want to be selfish about my family. And constantly weighing that and balancing that is a is a hard and it it can really weigh on you. And so you have these, you know, you have these periods where it's like, maybe I should stop playing, you know, and, and just be with my family. But, uh, that's probably it for me. That's the internal See, battle.
0: You think every player has a version of that?
1: Yes, for sure. For sure.
0: Look, there's a, there, there's nobody
1: that I don't care how good you are. Like LeBron James, whether he's the greatest player of all time or one of the three best players of all time. Right. There are absolutely moments where he's probably like, man is this really worth it? (laughs) Like, is all this, is all this, like, obviously he appreciates what the game has given him. We all have. Um, but I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's the negativity or there's the, the wanderlust of, you know, the season where you're just constantly on somebody else's schedule. And, you know, I know every job is like that, but, everybody has that at their job. So when it becomes a job, sometimes you're like, yeah, okay. You know, fuck this. Um, but yeah, I think what I I was talking with somebody yesterday about this, but it's like, for me, it's like, why, why am I still, why, why do you still play? I'm going to return 36 next month. it's absolutely because basketball has been the love of my life for 28 years. I've I've loved it. I mean, I love my family, obviously more, (laughs) but I've loved basketball more, more than any other thing. And I still do, and that's why I still play because I just absolutely love it. But there's definitely times where it brings on a certain amount of angst.
0: What did you think about Stan Van Gundy saying you were as competitive as Jordan? I think what he was
1: trying to say was the reason he was great is because he was so talented and he had the competitiveness. There's a lot of talented guys, and there's a lot of competitive guys. There's very few guys that are as competitive and as talented. When when Stan got fired. I texted him that day. I was, I was fucking distraught. I mean, I was so pissed and how, and how they fired him. I don't know if it's ever become public, but how they fired him was just dirty. Fuck those guys. I mean, seriously, how'd they fire him? I'm not going to talk about it, but it just, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. They disrespected him. So anyways, I'm distraught. And I, we were texting that day. And he actually said to me that day, he said, you know, you, Udonis and Richard are the th- my three favorite players I've coached in terms of your work ethic and your competitiveness and your, um, you know, your professionalism and all that. So like he had, t- he had said things to me before like that, but I-, I did see that when you, when you sent that the other day, you know, that he said I was as competitive as Michael Jordan. You know, I have other issues besides gambling. So I don't- I- my competitiveness manifests itself in other ways, <laughs> but, but certainly I think, you know, most guys are really com- really competitive most guys are really competitive and most guys are really talented but to to do be both at such an elite level makes him you know the greatest
0: uh chris warren writes in speaking of uh mj he says would you do jj would you do a last dance style documentary for your final season
1: <laughs> <laughs> would i do a last dance
0: yeah, and then the follow up is uh, to both of us: Who would be your co-star at a rom com? Okay, I like that. Okay, oh, that's good. Doc, doc, question first. Um, I mean, it's not your—it's not your call whether your team allows that, but yeah, that's no. That's um, sort of a, but like, I would mean, you do a follow thing around like a like a D Wade type thing where you have Yeah, D Nicole? Wade? I
1: mean, I mean, I guess I, I guess I would consider it, but I don't. I mean, I've never really thought about it. I, I, I think the book thing is probably probably where I'm headed. If I do yeah. something like that. I mean, we, we haven't done our rom-com radi- uh, rankings, but like, come it's on. coming it's, soon. It's gotta be Jennifer Aniston. Gotta be Jennifer Emerson. Really? Yeah. Like, to start with? Yeah.
0: What is the... Okay, so not to ruin our rom- not, what is is the, th- I'm
1: not saying I have like a crush on her. I'm just saying she's just like... She, I think she's the best in rom-com. But, she just... But which rom-coms? Uh, what's the movie with Jason Sudeikis? We Are the Millers. Oh my god! That oh
0: movie. my god! We need to do a full <laughs> episode on this thing. I love Jennifer Aniston. I'm not a Jennifer Aniston hater. If this was who would you want to star in a sitcom with a I'm television show, I movies, think that that's fine. The movies are great, but she's well down the list. She's not even in the top five. Maybe she. Maybe she's
1: not done like the traditional rom com that you're speaking yeah. of. You know, yeah, like like um, you know, Notting Hill or um, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Sweet Home Alabama, like those type of movies. Like she hasn't done many of those. Like she's done, like We Are the Millers and Horrible Bosses and that terrible movie she did with Gerard Butler that I forgot the name of. It was yeah. like universally panned. Like she, so, the, she yeah. did the
0: one with Vince Vaughn where they live together but they're broken up. She's done them. They just are, They're not argue, top. Tier. You could argue
1: though that that the breakup was not a
0: rom com. So I need to rewatch the breakup because I've seen it. The
1: first half of the movie. It's playing like a rom com. Yeah. The second half of the movie is some dark shit, like some really. I'm, all right,
0: I, I know what I'm doing. Right, I know what I'm doing. Right when we get off of this podcast, as I'm rewatching the breakup. Yeah, it's more of a drama. We are going to. This is a this is a to be continued conversation because we're going to have a full episode on this once we are once it's ready. Once the episode is ready. Once we both feel comfortable with our institutional rom com yeah. knowledge, this is going to yeah. happen. Uh this is an interesting one I think from Jay Goyle who wins in a street fight between Zion and Conor McGregor.
1: Ooh, I mean uh, you got to go with the professional. I would say Conor has a good chance of beating Zion. But I can't I can't not go with my teammate. So I would say Zion. Zion's my choice. But I would say Conor has a decent chance. That that would be an but interesting Zion fight. Did, but Zion didn't even make it into our like our our back alley rankings.
0: But, the, but that's just the question. The back alley thing is the guy that's looking for a fight. Zion's clearly not looking for a fight, but he's just such a physical beast that Connor's tough to beat. I don't have to take Zion because he's not my teammate. Isn't, Connor's there tough video, to beat.
1: isn't there a video somewhere of Connor scrapping with the mountain from Game of Thrones?
0: I think yes. this video
1: exists.
0: Yes. Yeah, it was bouncing around the internet a couple months ago. Yeah. Connor's not like a big guy, right? No, he's like five, nine hundred, forty pounds. He's little. Yeah. So he's just—he's just—he's yeah, he's a, mon- a monster. He's a monster. Yeah. Guest. It's just—it's just a question. It's just a question of whether Zion can land something on him before he just grounds and pounds. Okay. I like this question from Billson Guzman. Build a perfect shooter, taking an element from each of the greats. Example: Dame's range, Clay's form, your footwork, etc.
1: Okay. This is good. I'm taking Donovan Mitchell's balance. When I had him on the podcast, I told him this. I've never seen someone. Who's so on his lower body strength is just insane to me, and he's so on balance every time he shoots a jump shot. So I'm taking his balance. Clay, Clay's up there too, but he just he doesn't have the same lift. The Clay's balance is great too. The Donovan Mitchell balance, Ray Allen's jumping and calves. We, if we're going to throw Ray Allen's calves in there, I go back and forth between Clay Thompson form and Kyle Korver form. Those two guys have the best. The best form to me.
0: What does "incredible calves" mean?
1: Like his calf muscles, they're incredible.
0: The muscles, the muscles are incredible.
1: Ray Allen okay. has great calf muscles. Isn't the plural of calf? Calves?
0: It is. I'm just curious. So that so, but <laughs> that is just like they're strong, like they don't get hurt. Like what?
1: No, like we're building the shooter, right? So like okay, we have yeah, yeah. like Donovan Mitchell's, like from the knee up, we got Donovan yep. Mitchell. But then we got Ray Allen's calves.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah. Just as like you know. Totally. No, I know. Yeah, 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 it fits. And then
1: we're going to throw in Stephen Curry's balls. Just <laughs> just the stones on that guy. Just the stones on that guy. And and you know what? We got I got to give some like some love to Dame with his range. So even though Steph has range, we'll say Dame's range too. All right? So Dame's range, Steph's stones, Clay's form, Donovan's balance, raised jumping slash caps. What am I missing? Am I missing anything? Footwork. You say me. Why not?
0: I was gonna say. Why you not? You have to put you. have to be in there in some capacity. Why not? Is vision important at all in this uh, calculation, or not really?
1: I don't think so. People talk about like how to, you know, shoot a basketball, and like one of the things is they talk about where to look at. You know, you look at the back of the rim, you look at the front of the rim, shoot it over the front of the rim, you know, shoot it at the back of the rim and it'll, you know, it'll go in. Some people watch the ball, which is just bizarre to me, Um, but there are some shooters that watch the ball. I generally just like look in the general direction of the rim. I don't like, like focus on the front or the back. It's more just, it's more just muscle memory. By the way, speaking of something that's being taught wrong, layups, we need to talk about this. For the at least when I was brought up, and maybe basketball coaches now that are teaching youth are teaching this differently. But if you you are shooting a one-legged layup, let's say you're shooting a one-legged layup on the right side, you should not jump off your left foot. You should go same hand, same leg, or you go same or you go you go outside leg, inside hand. So right leg, left hand on the right side, left leg, right hand on the left side because your shot's just going to get blocked. You're exposing your, your, the why, whole is this, wall.
0: why is this being taught wrong? It's literally
1: from the 1950s. Like, it's not, it's not, this is how people are, at least when I was growing up. And I, I mean, people will comment that sometimes when they're watching a game or I see stuff on social media, I'm like, you know, he's like, why did this guy shoot right, right hand, right hand to layup off his right foot? keeping his body between him and the defender. That's, that's the way you got to shoot a layup now.
0: He's playing, he's playing against athletic people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, any coaches out there, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram about this if you agree or disagree. It's got to be outside leg.
0: Ryan Rota, what's the most difficult arena to play in because of fans, lighting, setup, etc.?
1: I don't think there's like a difficult arena to play in. I think fans want to think that we go in there and we're like scared of playing an arena, that's just not the case. I mean, if you get to the NBA, like you played high-level basketball before, a bunch of people screaming at you or mood lighting really has no effect. I hate <laughs> to say that, but it's the truth.
0: So you're telling me the warm-up song before before the uh, uh opening tip is not is not making a difference?
1: No, no. No, if anything gets you hyped. Like um,
0: what was the what was the what's the one
1: that the Boston Celtics play? Well, then when they come out for us they're playing Enter Sandman, I think at least when I was back in the playoffs we would play there Enter yeah. Sandman the Metallica song. But then they would play the the Irish song.
0: Oh, shipping shipping off to Boston. Yes, the Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Yes,
1: that that got me hyped. If anything, yeah.
0: Well, how would you have felt if you were playing against Jordan's Bulls and you saw the serious? Obviously, they're still doing the song now, but it's not the same team, so it's not as impactful. Jordan's Bulls. So, you know, the warm up, the Bulls, oh, the, ni- yes. the, the 90s. Yes. Like, is there is there any world where you would have, if you were on the opposing team and maybe not you as a vet, but you as like a rookie or a second year guy, and you see that intro, that's not going to throw you off at all? I
1: think it could. Yeah. I think if you're a young guy, the, the thing is, like, I'm, I'm not saying fans don't have an effect on the game. I'm saying it's not like it's difficult to go out there and, and do your job or do something because of the atmosphere. If anything, it elevates you and it, it it can elevate the home team. It can elevate the road team. Like there's, it's special to play in front of fans. So let's, let's be clear on that. And I also want to say in response to your question, there were, you know, years there where you're playing in golden state when they're an Oracle and they're on their run, you know, where they're winning three out of four championships and you're like, fuck man, like we got to be at our best tonight. You know, we know the fans are going to be at their best. We know the warriors are, you know, really great. Uh, we got to be at our best to win. So that's really the thought process. But I always say this: like I get nervous before every game. Every game, still 14th year, I get nervous before every game. Butterflies, all that stuff. When the when the jump happens, when the tip happens, it all it, you just you, you just auto mode kicks in, and you just you go just play basketball. In. Yeah.
0: Daniel Martin writes uh, a bunch of people have asked this actually, and I don't think we ever talked about it. Why do you do the thing where you sit on the floor next to the bench?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, you have to get a medical clearance from the NBA. The team has to like ask for it. There's gotta be some notation from doctors for you to be able to sit on the floor. They obviously don't want 12 guys sitting on the floor. Um, so, you know, because of my history with some back problems, you know, I've gotten that clearance. It, It started, it was either my fifth or sixth year I was playing in Orlando. We had a day game in Miami. It was like ABC game, 1230. And I just like slept really funny on my back. And I went out for warm-ups, my shooting warm-ups. And I was like so tight. And I just, this is before like people were putting hands on you before the game and mobbing you and all that stuff. So I just, there's nothing I could do to really like unlock my back. So I walked in the locker room to tell Stan, like I couldn't play that day. He says to me, hey, uh, Jay Rich is out. Uh, You're starting today. So I was like, okay. So I go out there and I'm like, I'm not even sure I can play. And I'm I'm pretty sure I had to guard D Wade some of the game. So I, the first, like first run in the first quarter, I hit three threes. So I'm like, okay, maybe I can, maybe I'll be fine today. So I went over to the bench and I was like, Oh, I cannot sit on the bench. I'm too stiff. So I laid on the ground, started foam rolling and pretty much since that game, I sat on the ground, but that was the origin of it. And it's really for me if I if I do sit like when I get up from this chair, like my hip flexors and my back will be stiff. tight. Yeah, so I it's really about just like protection. I have a I have a very uh, long torso and uh, like short arms and short legs, so it's just not it's just not a good position for me to be in.
0: Have you been on a team where you, one of your teammates also did it? No, but got... <laughs>
1: Guys sit with me, like guys will sit with me. And then if, especially if it's a nationally televised game, one of the trainers, somebody will call, you know, from the league and say, Hey, so-and-so can't sit on the floor. So guys have to like get kicked off the floor all the time, all the time.
0: Allie Rucker, friend of the show, writes in, if you could pick any movie set to visit from past releases, what would you be and guilty pleasures on the road besides donuts? What about
1: swingers, man? Like, that would have been a fun movie to be on the set of.
0: The set? Because it really? was
1: so low budget, and it was just... I mean, if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now, that would be, yeah, that would be, would be amazing. Yeah, it
0: would be. It would be. Just hanging with just that crew would have been To be on, like, fun. ground zero with that crew... Would have been great. I And I John agree.
1: Favreau. Like, to be on ground zero with those guys... That movie... Like, yeah. the budget of that movie, I think, was under a million dollars.
0: That's actually a great... That's a great answer, because what I was going to say is most film sets are insanely boring. I mean, there's nothing to see. And it's like shocking to me that people will pay money to go do set visits because it's not only are you not like hanging out with the actors or the filmmakers or anything, you're not even really seeing any part of anything. It's all segmented and timed out and everything like that. What makes Swingers interesting or another sort of low-budget film like that interesting is they were probably shooting all on location So it's almost like you're going to see like a student film or something like that. Like you just pull up and they're there.
1: I think like a lot of those bar scenes were like, they just like went up to the bar and like, Hey, we're going to film this movie tonight. Is that cool? And they were like, yeah, roll in. It's basically, I mean, they had a permit and everything, but like, that's basically how it happened. I was going to say, I'll throw one other movie out there as like, I would love to have been on set while they were filming Lord of the Rings in New Zealand, just for the New Zealand part, none of the soundstage part, just the New Zealand part. Oh, would have been
0: awesome. I'll give you one recent one I think would have been fun is Uncut Gems. Would have been fun to be on that set. Because there was an element yeah. of there's an element of swingers. I mean, it was a little bit higher budget, but there's an element sure. of swingers to how they made that movie where a lot of the a lot of the small characters in that in that movie are not a, are not actors. Right. And in certain right. cases, like the guys at the end of the movie when they're at the at the casino in Connecticut they literally, the Safties literally cast them like day before. Like right. they walked into the casino, they saw these guys, they were like, hey, do you want to be in a movie tomorrow? And they were like, sure. I don't even know if they paid them. And so there's, yeah. a, part of the, there's a part of that which is kind of interesting.
1: Uh, here's a guilty pleasure on the road. So I, obviously we stay in nicer hotels for the most part. Uh, you know, there, there's the occasional, you know, Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton type stay. We're very, very lucky we get to do that. And, you know, I will frequently check in with the spa or fitness center to see if there's a steam room or a sauna and being able to do that on the road is, is that's a guilty pleasure for sure. For sure.
0: Richard Mansfield, a few years back, you appeared on a podcast with pardon my take shout out to PFT and big cat right before your interview, they did a Mount Rushmore segment of animals you'd want on your team for a fight. Who would you guys choose?
1: I've got a bone to pick with Barstool. So they re-released that video on YouTube six weeks ago, like two or three weeks into the pandemic.
0: Oh, of your interview, of your interview
1: with them. And been all these fucking sites start running the, the quotes from the sites. Like, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not talking about the Clippers anymore. That was from two fucking
0: years ago. Who was it? Please report that that was aggregating and making... yeah. And, make-
1: yeah, and b- they just put up another video <laughs> talking about Kevin Durant and player autonomy. Him going to the Warriors, like, Bleacher is it that's video. even relevant? No. P- pardon my take. P-
0: P- they just put
1: up another YouTube video. Just like so. Did they did they re-release the
0: entire? Did they re-release the entire interview or just that clip? They put the whole interview out. Then they did
1: like the thing we do where we you know splice in like oh here's a ten minute clip here's a yeah. six minute clip
0: whatever. So this would be like this would be like us re-releasing. Yeah, this would be like me putting out like a ju- like Kyrie. Yeah, Kyrie, right? Kyrie now. Drunk Kyrie Drunk in London.
1: <laughs> as if just like yeah. As if it just happened. As if I'm still if we're still talking about dinosaurs and flatter.
0: And he's and he's on a different team. Like there's all kinds of <laughs> Obviously we love those guys, but what's especially funny about it is like it's not like you're not going to go on that show anytime soon. You'll probably go on that show whenever we get out of here when we we're in Brooklyn. So it just was, un- yeah. you're an unnecessary person to need to aggregate from. Like you have stories, you have current stories you can tell that get can get aggregated. Like you don't need to still be rehashing the Clipper stuff. Dan lives but. across
1: the, Big Cat lives across the street from me in, in Brooklyn.
0: Come on. Yeah. Maybe we, they're going can through can make that they're, happen anytime. They're going, they're going through tough times. You know, it's fine. <laughs> Lars from Germany writes in. He says, long time listener. I'm curious about your take on German food. What food do you know? Have you ever been to Germany? And then also uh, take on Dirk.
1: Okay. I've been to Germany once. It was to fly after the world uh, championships, 1900 world championships in, in Thessaloniki, Greece. We flew from Athens to Frankfurt and we had a full day layover. So I, of course, went out of the hotel. I was 19 and I went with our team doctor and who I'm still friends with this, this to this day. And we, we went into like a square and sat outside at a cafe, had a couple drinks. I don't even remember if we ate anything. And then we went back to the hotel. If you said to me, what's German food? I would think of schnitzel, pretzels, brats. I'm sure there's other stuff. But beer. That's what, beer, obviously. Yeah, but that's what we've sort of taken from. German food and made it mass produced here. So I would love to go to Germany. It's it's definitely, you know, in my top five or 10 places I want to go. Um, Dirk is Dirk's special, man. He's special. What's your, what's your take on Dirk? Dirk?
0: I mean, it's amazing. I, 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 I can't say about him. I, I've never heard a negative thing about him. Yeah. In any it's capacity wild. as a teammate, as a person, like he's a, he's, I guess Nash is kind of like this too. They're just yeah, like Nash, universally yeah. they're universally yeah. beloved. You would have to really fight to try to come up with a critical thing to say about either one of them.
1: I wish Nash had won a championship. He's doing fine in life, I'm sure. Yeah. He's doing fine. That's
0: an, it's an interesting what if, if he had stayed there. In Dallas.
1: Yeah. yeah. It is. But yeah, Dirk's, Dirk's one of the greatest of all time, for sure.
0: From Addie Elliott writes in, oh, I like this. Who do you believe you could beat in an on-court fight in today's NBA? And then who from all of NBA history is a little harder? But no, how about just today's NBA?
1: In today's NBA, Joe Ingles for sure. I yeah. would I would that's just a- I, I I would kill Joe Ingles. <laughs>
0: that's an that's an obvious. That's an obvious. That's one. An it, obvious almost go- one. <laughs> it almost goes without saying.
1: <laughs> it almost goes without saying. I feel like honestly if it really came down to it, I feel like I could I could kick DeAndre Jordan's ass. I know he's bigger than me, but he's like one of those big guys where I'm like, he doesn't really want to scrap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so those, those two are the two guys right away that I feel what, like I can, I about, can beat
0: What about, what about TJ? So here's what worries me about
1: TJ. TJ is one of those, I feel like he just wouldn't stop. So yeah. I would, I would literally, You got gotta to kill him. him. You gotta got to to kill him. him. <laughs> you have to kill him. Yeah.
0: Who was in a fight between TJ and Conor McGregor? I almost think TJ has a better chance than, like, Zion is just going to just be like, fuck this. I'm, yeah. I'm tired of this. TJ, you really got to put him down or he's going to keep coming.
1: TJ, people, people don't understand this, but TJ's center of gravity is so low. Like, I would even, I would struggle just, like, getting a hold of him. You know what I mean? Even though he's small, he's just so low. I don't know. My roommate and I in college, we used to talk about this. He was like this scrappy guy from Arkansas. He was a walk-on on our team. I was like, yo, if you and I ever fought, like, well, what do you think we'd win? He'd be like, you'd have to fucking kill me. <laughs> That's basically TJ. Like
0: there's only one way to find out. <laughs> uh, Sydney Saracek writes, favorite bottle of wine under $30. Okay.
1: So I would say for me right now, on a nice sort of warm spring day where you can be outside in a comfortable social distance from other people. I think a nice bottle of Sancerre, which is, uh, you know, it's Sauvignon Blanc grape. It's from France. Um, the Sancerre is the region, but a nice Sancerre would be, would be my choice. And you can find a nice bottle for under 30 bucks fairly easily.
0: What's your favorite thing you've had recently?
1: Chelsea's, uh, 35th birthday was on Wednesday night was two nights ago. She was born in 1985. You do some quick math. It's 2020 35 years, 1985. So we opened, uh, a bottle of 1985 red burgundy. That was, that was really special, man. It was really good. It was really good. And we had Lucali pizza, even though, you know, they're not open. I know I've talked about Lucali a ton on this podcast, but, uh, we went, you know they're open for takeout, so it's the one takeout meal we, we've had, we had this week where we actually left the you know left the apartment. But I went, I got the pizzas, I brought them back. It was the fourth straight year we've done Lucali for for Chelsea and her twins' birthday, and we had a nice bottle of red burgundy. So that's that was that's it. Are you drink, are you drinking wine or just doing gummies?
0: I'm drinking wine. Okay. I'm Doing it all. I drank the wine I'm you sent doing me. It all. I'm doing
1: I drank it the all. wine. The,
0: the wine you sent me was incredible
1: yeah
0: it was it, it was, was that was that's the best thing i've had i'm not as i just am not as adventurous as you i'm drinking what i what i'm doing a lot of is i'm doing a lot of takeout and getting wine from the restaurants and just sort of letting them pick for me which is working
1: yeah i feel I just, like you know i feel like there are still some people who feel like wine is like not approachable like it's fancy schmancy you can get great wine at any at any price point oh for sure You know, I, I tend to stay away from sort of mass produced stuff. You know, there's a lot of, you know, smaller producers that make great stuff at great prices. And, you know, the one thing I've sort of, you know, always, when I get into something like I sort of do a deep dive and the wine world is it's endless. It is an endless rabbit hole. Similar, similar to watches. It's deep,
0: similar similar to watches,
1: but it's way deeper than watches way
0: deeper do you think it's a fair comp to say uh the wine world is in a a weird way similar to golf and that you can have like you can have business conversations with people that you can start with a wine conversation and then it can lead into other things in a way that maybe watches is not
1: sure so that's honestly what got me into to wine I, i maybe i've said this before but watches for me was a very singular pursuit. It was a, it was, it was selfish. I thought it was selfish. Like no one else was wearing my watches and I was putting them in a box. Like they weren't even being used. Like I didn't make sense to me.
0: It's like only makes you happy. No one else is happy. No one else is happy. You're wearing that watch. Yeah.
1: Wine is a connector, right? Wine is a connector. And so, you know, some of, you know, my favorite conversations, my favorite like moments with friends or family, or even just meeting someone for a first time at dinner and, you know, having a conversation with them, it's, it's been with, you know, wine And so that really was the shift for me was like, Oh yeah, I'm into this thing. I like it, but it also can be something that sort of bridges and connects people. Why not? So yeah, yeah. I do think wine golf, golf is the same way. Like you go out and you play a foursome with three people you don't really know by the end of
0: it, you're like best friends yeah. for sure. Wine is definitely a great uh quarantine gift. Yeah.
1: I mean, listen, I've done some gifting in this quarantine and I gift I, I gifted you a nice bottle.
0: You gifted me a nice bottle, but I would say that to your point about price point, if you send as long as you're not sending somebody just like a piece of shit, if you send them something that has that is just good, it doesn't to be it doesn't have to be super expensive. They will appreciate it and they will drink it with whoever they're with. And so yes. you're it is not it is it's not a it's not a singular moment. But Stephen Smith, what do you think about the Donald Sterling incident looking back on it? Shout out to Chris Paul the, and the Quibi doc. Do you yeah. want to explain what that is? Yeah,
1: so I participated in a documentary called uh, Blackball that that will be out on Quibi on Monday the 18th where we sort of look at, you know, in a microwave the the Donald Sterling incident my first year with the Clippers back in 2014, but then sort of what that meant in the larger context of sports and race in America. So I, you know, I sat for like a two hour, two hour interview. um, And did some B roll stuff. I did not know that I was doing a two hour interview and doing B roll stuff. So I like literally showed up at this random high school gym in Manhattan with like, Sweaty Adidas clothes on. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit!" But the documentary, yeah, it's 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 good, man, and and I'm excited about it. Uh, what did I think about the Donald Sterling incident? Well, you're going to have to watch the documentary.
0: It's a good tease. Good tease. When does it come out again? Monday, the 18th. It's a great topic for a doc. It is. You know, and it, it, it's
1: similar to to sort of you know what Jason did with the Last Dance. You know, you're focused on uh, 97. 98 season, but you're you're telling that story in the context of sort of the whole history of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And in a way, two very different things, obviously. But in a way, and this is what this doc is doing. It's it's looking at this incident, but it's looking at sort of the the larger meaning and the context of this incident in America in
0: America. You know what I always thought it's it's probably not substantial enough to be a documentary, but I would love to see revisited is the DeAndre almost signing with Dallas moment with we were with the with the memes and everything on Twitter. Like you guys had a lot of stuff with that team. You just had so many characters on that team. Yeah. Here's that- a great here's a
1: great uh, like a great Quibi idea. We should do Cause I feel like that's like a 10 to 15 minute documentary.
0: Yeah. It's not a movie. We, should, it's just we a... should just
1: produce like six to eight of these like random little NBA docs.
0: Why not? Okay. Yeah. We'll just do this. We'll just, we'll take this offline. I think this is, I think this is so just a exactly. thing we should just, we think we should just do. Okay. Speaking of movies, <laughs> speaking of movies, Ray Hernandez, uh, if there was a movie about you, who would play you? I
1: mean, I would want Tom Hardy to play me. I don't know
0: how much he looks like me. He's a little short.
1: Yeah, celebrity lookalikes. I mean, I don't feel like I have like a like a celebrity lookalike, but I, I mean, I've gotten Adam Levine back when I was in LA. When I
0: when I, the Levine thing is there, that's a real well, thing. The tattoo and like when I was in LA and I had the
1: high, you know, the high tight fade, it was there a little bit. Uh, when I when I was in Orlando, I used to get Freddie Prince Jr.
0: See what's great about that. Interesting is that you were still getting that at probably like... He was probably a little bit on the downswing. But Freddie Prince Jr., late 90s, 2000s, was like one oh. of the goats. So that's a great... That's an amazing comp to get.
1: Would you put Summer... A little tease, but would you put Summer
0: Catch in your top 10 rom-coms? No. I'm not saying top five, top 10. I would have put any of the... I don't like his movies. Okay. I just watched She's All That. Not a fan. Oh, She's All That. Not a
1: good movie. Not a good movie. No, a good movie. A fan. But Summer Catch is 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 a great is a great movie. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a good movie. I would call it a great movie.
0: We're going to ha- we're going to have to have this out because Summer Catch is not in the top 10. <laughs> okay. Tom Listen. Hardy Tom Hardy playing an NBA player actually would be amazing. The story of yeah. the the 2015 Los Angeles Clippers with Tom Hardy as you. It you know would be funny as if we could like somehow get Tom
1: Cruise to play me in a movie. Just because of the way that he like the way that he moves, I think would be funny to watch on a basketball court. Has he done a basketball
0: movie? Tom Cruise? No. I don't think he's done a... Has he done a sports movie? Besides Jerry Maguire?
1: He he runs a lot. He is a runner.
0: Yeah, he's in shape. He's just a small guy. I mean, that guy, he's not playing an athlete. I guess he could play a coach. Sure.
1: Who would you have have play me in a movie? Play me? Play you? First of all, nobody would watch a movie about my life.
0: But, I would have, I would have, I would, I wouldn't say Adam Levine because I don't think he'd be a good actor. Freddie Prince Jr. is not uh, relevant enough anymore. The person who you should really want to have play you is Timothy Chalamet. He's that's too how, little, man. That's how the that's how the movie becomes a hit. If he's Tim, too
1: little. Did you see the that, movie
0: begin again with Mark Ruffalo? No. Is it new?
1: It's from like five, six years ago. But uh Adam Levine was was a musician in it. Not not playing himself. How was I
0: mean, was he was I mean, good. If he's Adam good. can act, then he should play you. No, like full stop. I'm gonna I'm gonna text him right now. Yes, this- I think they <laughs> I think that this could this could be part of our six part doc series is the biopic. The biopic. <laughs> but we have to pick the we have to do the biopic with just like a specific year. So it's got to be like it has to be like 2016 Los Angeles. Or like a specific year in Orlando or something like that. Like it can't focus on your career, can't focus on Duke, can't focus on any of that. It's just got to be a year in the life.
1: It's weird to be 36 and still get asked about Duke. Not as like a like a secondary or tertiary topic, but like it's like the singular focus sometimes, like in an interview, like to be asked about Duke. Yeah. And that's still like a little weird to me. It was a different era. It, it, I, I feel like it was just a lifetime ago.
0: I think it's weird too, especially because you've had this NBA career where you literally have made the playoffs every year. So if you had played in the NBA for like two years and kind of yeah. just didn't work out for whatever reason, I would right. it would make sense. But there's just a lot of there's a lot to talk about NBA wise. And so it seems like it's a weird crutch that people fall back on. But it also shows you the the power and like the, oh. the fame the fame from college. I mean people still remember it. Yeah,
1: but that's. I also think that's the power of Duke and the power yeah. of Coach K because, like, even going to back to like the animosity, you know, and the, the 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 hate that was coming my way. Like, if I was some shithead at Wisconsin or you know some Pac-12 school, I don't think it would have been on the same level. I don't think
0: if you were Florida, doing the, the exact same career, in Florida, you would not have the even close to the same level of
1: no. Duke and college basketball, Coach K, it's all very synonymous with each other. And so it's like, you know, that's the identifier because I was there
0: and I was a bit of a lightning rod. It is weird though because like, like take Joakim for example. You guys are similar ages. Joakim had a super successful college career. Won two championships. Was certainly a lightning rod when he was in college. Yeah. But nobody ever talks to him about Yeah. He had a good, he had a great NBA career too, but like no one, it's just not a thing that. Yeah, right. He, so won, it, two and he won two chips. He won two championships, a, and you, no you one ever brings even, it up.
1: You don't even think about it, right? It's not the first thing I would bring up with Joe Kim. Yeah, maybe maybe I, if I had if we had Joe 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 would, Joe would love to come on the pod. By the way, but if we had Joe Kim on the pod. Like I would, I don't even know that I'd bring up Florida. Horford Horford's the same way. I wish there was a question. I don't. This is the thing that I struggle with sometimes is trying to explain to the average fan just how good an nba player is because now relative like relativity matters of course like you know the 13th or 14th guy compared to a superstar sure the superstars you know better right We're not i think to say the 13th or 14th guy sucks or the fifth guy or the seventh guy or the second guy. It's just like, it doesn't make sense. But then I think to myself, well, there's a lot of people that like hate on LeBron, (laughs) you know? And it's like, eh, eh, can, can you really hate on LeBron? Like you can hate on maybe a decision he made to leave Cleveland. Maybe that's, but like as a player, I just don't know, man. Like I, People like Skip Bayless; they're just fucking saying things for attention.
0: Just attention—that's what it is. And the internet. The- I wish there was a question that could like
1: get me into the space where I could explain just how good every NBA player is to, to watch. Like, just a, like to come to a practice. If you're an average fan and come to a practice and like watch the first team play against the second team and watch. The guys working out beforehand. The guys playing one on one afterwards. The guys working on their games afterwards. Like, just be like, oh, oh, this guy doesn't suck at all. Actually,
0: yeah, but this is. But what you're talking about is you could make the argument about this with criticism in general across the board in every industry. Like, well, no, I'll give you no, an example. I,
1: I don't. Mean, I, either, I don't even. I don't, even, hold on, I don't even mean criticism. though. criticism is fine. I'm fine with criticism. Yeah. I, I, that, that, that's not what I'm saying. I guess I, I think there's a disconnect. Like, with people thinking a, a player's not good, like that's like that's what's weird to me.
0: Yeah, I, I that makes sense to me. I, the 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 example I was going to bring up is uh, M Night Shyamalan, who you know he's every he's he's had an, he's had like an incredible career, incredible, career. and and uh, but he's a guy that's like he's had a few movies that have just gotten like universally panned. And panned by fans, panned by critics. Da, da. He, I think he even talked about it with with you a little bit. Um, yeah, but he's but a stoic. That,
1: he's a stoic, so it doesn't none of that stuff bother. But,
0: but that's a thing where it's like, like when you look at the like technical craft of filmmaking, there is almost nobody on the planet who is better than him. Just as a from a straight up like, there's no one who's better than. That doesn't mean that everything he does works all the time. But it basically the society that we're in. People are, and they're allowed to do it. It's fine. It's like, this is, and it's why the thing that I'm always interested in is like how you guys block this stuff out and how he blocks it out. Because part of why I ask this is to me, the most sensitive people on planet earth are members of the media who, if they get criticized, (laughs) they, or anyone says anything about them, they literally can't ignore it. They do not know how to ignore it. And so it's, it's impressive. Like it's impressive to, and I don't even necessarily know that he'd even want to have the conversation. But like, I think about it with like somebody like Zion. It's why we always ask them. It's like, he's 18 years old and he has something in his mind that allows him to block out anything on the internet that yeah. he doesn't care about. He just doesn't care. Lonzo's the yeah. same way. Yeah. And that's, that's impressive because most people are not like that.
1: Yeah, no, it is impressive. I just want to thank everybody for all the questions. Uh, get weird if you want for the next mailbag episode. We'll have a guest on uh, next week. And uh, really appreciate you guys listening and sending in your questions as always. Tommy, do you have anything to add?
0: No, stay safe. Send us some Send us some stuff to watch and eat and everything. We're just sitting around. So uh, we appreciate all the feedback.
1: DM um, Tommy, your, your weed brownie. What recipes?
0: <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please, please. I just made some I just made some cookies yesterday that are incredible. <laughs>